It had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Hello, romantics. Welcome to a pod to be you, the talk film society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather. In each episode, I'll be chatting with a guest about one of their favorite romantic comedies from classics to modern hits. My guest today is Conrado Falco. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming. How how's it going? It's going uh, pretty well. Um, I'm excited to be on the show. I've been listening for a while, um, and I'm excited to talk about this movie, which is one of my personal favorites, I guess. I have a lot of history with this movie, so we'll get yeah. Into <laughs> yeah, actually, so do I, surprisingly enough. Um, okay. Uh, but before we begin, you know, I wanted to talk to you about your web series, and I'd love for you to uh, tell listeners kind of what you're working on and, and what it's all about. Yes, thank you. So I co-created a web series called Wormholes, which is now in its second season. Um, at the time that we're recording this, we are kind of halfway through the the second season of the show, and it is a sci-fi comedy about two roommates who live in an apartment with an interdimensional wormhole in the closet. So, you know, kind of hijinks happen. I play their super, um, so I have kind of like a fun supporting role, and you know, it's kind of like a silly show but with some heart. We have had episodes about um, let me think, there's an episode where someone gets uh, possessed by the spirit of Alexander Graham Bell. There's a musical episode which was a lot of fun to do last year. Uh, My personal favorite is one in which I play my evil twin and it's just me but speaking gibberish French. It's kind (laughs) of like a French version of me. Um, So that's kind of the silly humor that we go for. And the second season is bigger than last year. We have more characters, more locations, because, you know, the first one was during quarantine. So this one is a little more expansive. We're really proud of it. And we would love for anyone who is listening to this show and thinks like it's something that might be up their alley to check it out. Um, If you go on YouTube and you search wormholes, the series that wormholes with an S at the end, um, the series, um, you should be able to find us, and I would really appreciate it. And of course, you know, feel free to leave comments or send me hate mail or whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really amazing. I will definitely watch that. It sounds really up my alley. You know, I think like, you know, I love stuff like that, you know, like sci-fi mm-hmm. comedy, especially stuff that's like really experimental and goes through a lot of different formats. It's so it sounds really amazing. And um, yeah, I'm going to check it out. And I encourage everyone uh, listening to also look into it because it, it sounds it sounds really cool. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show and, and giving me the space to plug it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I wanted to have you on the podcast for a while, but unfortunately, I think right um, when we, I think we pos- we podcast together mm-hmm. last year, talking about Bianca Chopra on your Foreign Invader podcast, and right. uh, I think right around then is when I took a hiatus from, from my podcast, so I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't return the favor, but you know, um, now that the pod to be you is kind of back, kind of getting closer to back in full swing, um, really excited to have you. So, uh, would you like to introduce the film for us today? 
Sure. So we're talking about the movie High Fidelity from uh, the year 2000, directed by Stephen Frears and starring uh, John Cusack as kind of like a, a heartbroken record store owner who is going through a breakup. And, you know, that makes him kind of like look back at his relationships from the past. Um, I don't know if you wanted to go into a plot summary. I just kind of did. I hope that's fine. <laughs> no, that's yeah, that's perfect. Um so before we started recording, you said you, um, or maybe it was after, you said you had a, a, a actually it was after we started recording, you said you have a history um, with the movie. So I would love to hear about the first time you saw it and mm-hmm. uh, kind of what um, what your impression was and kind of how you've carried this movie with you over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I must have seen it for the first time probably on cable somehow. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, it was on VH1 a lot where I grew up. And um, and I think I connected with the movie because I feel maybe you will feel similarly about this, but I feel like, you know, kind of like teenagers and kids who are really into movies, especially when you get to that teenage years, yeah. you start, you know, kind of like being obsessive about it and watching this movie about this guy who was obsessive about music in a way that I felt that I was obsessive about music, uh, about movies kind of really connected with me just the idea of him like talking about his top five this and that was something that I related immediately with. Um, and obviously I was a teenager as well. So I was starting to like go out on dates and, you know, thinking about girls and whatever. So that was, um, also a part of it. And, and then, you know, it was on cable a lot. I watched it a lot and then I got the DVD and I read the book. So it kind of like became a very important movie for me in a lot of ways. And that ended up being kind of like a, a good thing and a bad thing. We can start talking about like the ways in which this movie portrays relationships and, and the main character who I think it's kind of like an interesting dude. Um, but yeah, that's basically my, my brief history with it and we can get more into it as we keep talking. Yeah. Um, that's really, that's really interesting because mine is very um, similar. I, I actually read this, the book in college. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's a book uh, written by Nick Hornby. Um, and I came about it because he, um, uh, he wrote the, um, he wrote um, an education, I believe. Mm-hmm, the screenplay, yeah. He wrote the screenplay and education, right? Uh, sorry, I couldn't remember if he wrote the book or the um, the screenplay, but yeah, he um, he wrote he wrote the screenplay and education, which I really loved back when it came out um, mm-hmm. in two thousand nine. And so I was just kind of looking him up, and High Fidelity really stood out to me. I was in college, so I was really. Um, thinking about I was just like you know you start like I was a late bloomer when it comes to dating (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I didn't really start dating that much until college and so I was like oh this book sounds interesting and so I I read Mm -hmm. the book and very similar to you I really related to it a lot and I was making top five lists and I was you know doing all that and then I saw the movie a couple years later and I was um I think I had resisted the movie because I was like, oh, how are they going to move it from London to Chicago? Like, that just mm-hmm. sound, like I felt inauthentic to me. But um, I watched the movie and I really ended up enjoying it. And um, I thought it was quite... Um, I thought it was actually a pretty faithful adaptation, even with the location change. And we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, yeah. Because I didn't... I mean, I'd never been to Chicago when I saw the movie, so I had no idea. I, or maybe I had been to Chicago, but, like, uh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't cool enough to be in the spaces that, you know, where where the characters were. So, um, yeah, I really liked the movie, but I haven't really watched it since then. I mean, I think I've seen it at 
saw it last like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So when I watched it um, this weekend for this podcast, it was uh, it was an interesting experience. Um, you know, I feel like this is one of those movies that changes every time you watch it as you get yeah. older. You know, you relate to it differently. You see the characters differently. And I'm interested to see it, you know, again, you know, in five years um, to mm-hmm. kind of see like, how it's evolved even more but yeah um you know kind of before we get started on the movie like what are your thoughts on john cusack are you um are are you Um, a fan of his like is he is this like you know your favorite movie of his or yeah you know john cusack is is an actor that i i haven't really thought about him that much as an actor even though you know this movie is a big part of my my teenage years but um but now that I think about it, he is in a couple of movies that I really like. Um, Being John Malkovich is a movie that I like a lot. Um, and obviously this one. Um, so um, I find him a, a pretty good actor, but but kind of like weirdly, um, I had, even though I really liked this movie, I kind of had underrated him somehow. And then watching the movie again, I was like, oh, actually, he's really good in this. And like, and, you know, it. I also thought, uh, rewatching this movie again, that it was an interesting, uh, in comparison to you know the movie that kind of made him famous, say anything, which is a much more romantic, I think. Well, this yeah. movie's also romantic in a way, but you know, yeah. this movie doesn't have that boombox moment, so it's it's right. a little bit more mature, I guess, in some ways about like how hard it is to be in a relationship or how hard it can be to be in a relationship. Um, and I kind of appreciated that from him. It also feels very personal, you know, moving into Chicago. And I think he really, he also co-wrote the the screenplay. So I feel like he kind of must have connected with the material the way that we did as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I just watched Say Anything for the first time a few weeks ago. I, I really liked that movie a lot. I, ex- I thought it was actually really different than um, what I really expected it to be. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was like, oh, I, I really get the John Cusack appeal. And I was like, I really see, I mean, I really, I mean, I remember in college I watched this movie Must Love Dogs a lot. It's a romantic comedy with him oh, yeah. and uh, Diane Lane. And I haven't seen that movie in like, I don't know, 10 years or so. So I, I guess I'd have to watch it again. Um, but I remember being just really taken with his like intensity, you know, because I feel like he's an actor that's really, um, you know, really intense. And as a romantic lead, it's almost like bewildering because he just kind of puts it all out there. And I think that quality is really apparent in High Fidelity. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's just like someone who just like feels a lot and thinks a lot and just wants to like, just wants to like figure out how to, um, how to express everything he's feeling. Yeah. So yeah, I really, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm into John Cusack. I didn't really think I would be, but um, he is an I interesting yeah, screen presence. I think you're totally right that yeah. he brings a certain intensity to it. I've been watching Nicolas Cage movies recently, and yeah. I watched Con Air, which has both of them in it. And obviously, Cusack is not nearly as out there as as Cage, but but he does bring a lot of that same kind of like neurotic, but also kind of like a little bit of a swagger energy to him. Um, you know, in this movie in High Fidelity, when he talks to the camera, he's really, he's really, he's really big when he does those monologues. You know, um, which is, um, I think, brings an interesting energy to the movie. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what is it about this movie that really uh, sticks out to you or stands out for you? 
So I think it's been different. I think I totally agree with what you were saying before that every time I see it throughout the years, because like you, I mean, I watched it a lot when I was in, in uh, basically in high school, I guess. And then I've seen it like a couple of times throughout the years since then, every like five or so years I watch it again. And uh, and it's a different experience each time. I, I kind of relate to it in a different way. I think different things about the John Cusick character. Like one of the... Um, more recent times that I saw it, I remember like being one in which I was thinking of, like, oh my god, this guy is really kind of like a total jerk. Like, you know, like yeah. I don't like him at all. Like, I, I saw like all the things that I had maybe taken from the movie, and I was like thinking, like, oh my god, was I an asshole for liking this movie? Like, you know, did I <laughs> yeah. do, like, a lot of bad things. Like, am I a bad person? <laughs> right. But it kind of changes every time. You know, when I was younger, especially, you know, I was in high school and seeing this movie, I didn't really know what it was like to be in a relationship right so this movie was almost like a blueprint for a lot of things and i think because the protagonist was someone who had some tendencies similar to mine you know obsessing about these things and and you know that whole kind of record store culture and thinking a lot about music and art and they go on that you know he goes in that monologue talking about how he and his and his kind of like his friends or like his co-workers um they say that the things that you like matter it's more important what you like than who you are in a way or is what they say and those were things that you know when you're a teenager you don't really know yourself so well you really do put a lot of your identity in the things that you like so um, i think that was the the beginning of it and then it, every time it has changed this last time i feel like i've come at the other end and i kind of see and appreciate the complexity of the character. I see the the things that are irritating about him, the things that are, you know, um, relatable about him. And I think that at the end, I appreciate that the movie is kind of just about this dude who has a lot of problems and issues trying to uh, make things better, trying to work and, you know, and, and grow up in a way. He's a very adolescent character, I guess, it seems to me in a lot of ways. You know, it's funny, like, I, I had to watch this in uh, two parts, um, just because, like, about halfway through, I was like, this movie's almost unwatchable. Because I could, <laughs> right. not, um, I could not really tolerate um, Rob mm-hmm. as a character. And um, I was like, you know, I think this is part of the point, right? Like... As you get as we get older and more mature, we start to see him differently, and we, you know, as you're saying, start to reflect back on our own behavior, and like, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm thinking like we've all been him, we've all been so like myopic and self-absorbed, and you know, thinking everything's about hit ourselves and said the wrong thing and treated people kind of poorly. I mean, we've all been there. It's not mm-hmm. pretty, it's not ideal, but it's just a part of life, and. Um, you know, and how we grow from that is really what matters. And so when I watch the second half of this movie, as he starts to really, um, you know, really develop and, and really kind of, especially see his um, his previous relationships in a different light and kind mm-hmm. of having these very tough talks from, you know, his sister, Joan Cusack. Yeah. Um, and he starts to see it and it's like, okay, yeah, like there's some, you know, there's some... Uh, there's some way for him to kind of grow up and, and be mature and kind of get get what he wants and kind of be what he needs to be for the people in his life. And I, I totally agree with you that, like, um, you know, it's about this idea of, like, what we like becomes who we are. I think that's so true. Um, like, we see that online all the time, which is, mm-hmm. like, these, like, culture wars about, like, 
whether you're a Scorsese person or a Marvel person and like right. what does that say about you or like you know whether you like this or that or or follow this person or like that person and it's very just like it becomes so like drowning and exhausting even if you're not participating in it just to like you know see it happen on the timelines and stuff yeah and um it's you know again it's like it's just it's something that happens when you're, you know, in your teens or in your twenties when you don't really have a personality yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like you don't have, you don't have the experience, you don't have the, the wisdom, you haven't been through enough. And so all you have is the things that you enjoy to really cling on to. And it's, I mean, some people don't grow out of that. Um, I mean, even I find myself struggling to grow out of that, you know, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah totally. I think this, this movie is just like, it's, it's painfully relatable in a way that I'm not totally proud of. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's very interesting because they did a, a TV version of High Fidelity a couple of years ago. I think mm-hmm. it came out right before the pandemic yeah. uh, for Hulu starring Zoe Kravitz. I don't know if you've seen it, um, but it was uh, very interesting because they recast the main role with Zoe Kravitz. So they, they instead of it being, you know, John Cusack straight white dude, it was this you know, black woman who was also bisexual in the in the show, and and that casting actually, even though the the story was pretty kind of faithful to the movie and the book, it also um, it really changed a lot of things about how things came off, um, and the character of Rob really. Um, uh, I don't know. It was different, and there was something about it. One of the things that wasn't quite. Uh, as present there was what you were talking about that thing about like the things that you like really defining you and the way in which when you watch this movie I think something for me that was a big moment of of uh, clarity for me as I've been watching this movie through the years was like a kind of a turning point when I started to realize the ways in which these guys working at this record store were in what particular ways they were being kind of jerks, you know, like mm-hmm. there's that scene in which they Jack Black won't sell the record to the to the super fan, and one of the one of their customers who's kind of their friends, he sells it to him, and he's like, "Why do you, you guys are snobs? Why do you sell it to me but not to him?" Kind of a thing, and that superiority of feeling like because I know the most about music is that I feel this particular way and I feel like I don't have a lot of value in life other than my knowledge and the things that I like and my and my kind of trivial expertise is the only thing that is making me you know feel good about myself um, was an interesting thing that I feel like um, that, that it just doesn't it doesn't become as relevant when you when you change the casting and and the series wanted to go in a different direction in that sense but that was something else that i noticed when i watched the show and i was like oh that's very interesting but yeah that was such a core thing for me to kind of like relate to with the movie at the at the beginning and then as i've been watching it since to kind of like you know complicate that and evolve my thoughts about that part of myself as well that's a really great point and i i'm going back to the tv adaptation and unfortunately i never watched it but i actually have been thinking about it a lot just because like zoe kravitz mm-hmm. has been in the news yeah um so much lately because of her you know role in the batman and mm-hmm. um you know, she seems like a pretty, I think, a good fit for a role like this. Um, She's really great in the movie, and obviously and her so mom it, is in the in this one. Which you know, I, 
Yeah, it, it, it didn't really connect for me until I saw Lisa Bonet in, um, right. in the movie. And I was like, oh, wow, that must be like, that's a cute little connection, you know, that you don't really think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that, like, it's so, you know, like, uh, I was thinking a lot about, you know, the gatekeeping of this movie and how much, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just like how, like, it almost seems counterintuitive. You know, I almost feel like gatekeeping is so, like, well, don't you want more people to, like, enjoy the things you enjoy? So if you're going to, like, stop them for arbitrary reasons, this feels like... I well, I mean, I guess I understand, like, you want to protect kind of what's precious to you. And, like, the more people know about something, the less kind of niche or cool it seems. But, um... And the, I, yeah. it's, like, these three guys in this music store, like, they're very... They're engaging, they're entertaining, they're fun, but they're also, like, a little pathetic... <laughs> Yeah, one hundred percent. Wow, like you guys, this is like you guys. Like, there's a reason why like none of you guys can get laid easily. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I feel like some guys never think about like why girls don't actually like them. <laughs> it's because you're you are miserable to be around. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, not to be very you know gender essentialist about it, but I do think that there is something kind of very masculine about that about that that you're talking about. I feel like there is something about the way that we expect men to be competitive or like you know hierarchical or yeah. whatever and when you're a dude who's not good at sports you have to like take you know turn whatever interest you have into kind of like a competition you know like yeah. i know more than everyone else i won't right. let anyone you know i'm the yeah. best one here it's an insider's club and you know and it's kind of toxic like you're saying in its own way yeah i mean it's it's funny you bring up gender essentialism and i agree with you i think it's kind of you know it's useless to think about things like being four boys or four girls but like when I was watching this movie I was like this is very much a, a guy's movie <laughs> like oh, in the yeah, sense of yeah. like you know like I've, I've read some like reviews on Letterboxd from women about this and like it's all like two stars and I'm like mm-hmm. yeah they're, they're absolutely right but like I think I mean I'd, I'd have to watch the, the TV show to see how they change it for a woman in lead I'm sure it's different in some ways and similar in other ways but I felt like watching this movie version, I'm like, yeah, guys can understand that, like, we have to go through this, like, selfish period to to kind of come out the other side, and it's, you know, I, don't, I mean, uh, maybe that's good, maybe that's not good, but, like, that's something mm-hmm. that, especially, like, when, you know, especially in, like, this, like, pre-kind of social media era, where, like, now I think boys are more, like, self-aware, and are more conscious, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're more, um, you know, they they have an understanding of of issues beyond their own, you know, what's going on in their own lives. But I think even like when I was in high school and stuff, like I was just as self absorbed in high school and college. If you know, yeah, I mean, I feel like every teenager is self absorbed to a yeah, point. Yeah. I mean, it's part of part of the, the deal of growing up. You know, and being in that period. But I think, yeah, I think it's also very what you mentioned about this being pre social media, pre digitalization of everything. It's also kind of interesting. To look back at that time and um you know uh a bit of a more hermetic maybe view of of what it's like to be a guy and the center of 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 your own universe and you know there's very little uh, other perspectives and the movie is told from his perspective and it and it's very kind of like narrow in that way right uh, kind of on purpose but in a, in a yeah. way that it's interesting that i feel like it wouldn't connect as much nowadays and i think that's why they made all those changes to the reboot to the to the tv version because it just feels feels of a different time to me Um, yeah 
Yeah. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the uh, supporting cast. I mean, we have, mm-hmm. of course, Todd Luizzo, Jack Black, Lisa Bonet, Catherine Zeta-Jones, mm-hmm. uh, John Cusack, Tim Robbins in, in a few scenes, and um, yeah. even uh, Heil. I have no yeah. idea how to yeah. say her name. I've watched this movie so many times. Yeah, she is, she's uh, a Danish actress. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen her in a few things when I look at her career, but... Um, I don't nothing against high profiles, high fidelity. Um, mm-hmm. She really reminded me of Uma Thurman. Yeah, um, and I was kind of well, I was like, you know, maybe Uma Thurman could have been in the role, and I think it might have been interesting because she had that same kind of energy and looked just like her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this cast is really great. I mean, uh, oh, Lily Taylor, of course, who I think kind of gives. I, I really liked her performance. Of course, I just seen her in high in. Um, Say anything with John with uh, John Cusack. Mm-hmm. She's very good in that movie as well. Um, so I guess I was just having a Lily Taylor moment. Um, but in terms of the supporting cast, like who really stands out for you? Well, the person who stood out for me, and I think for a lot of people, especially the first time that I saw it, was Jack Black. Who yeah. this is kind of like a bit of a breakthrough role for him, I think. Um, and he's kind of doing his Jack Black thing, you know. Um, being very the most obnoxious of the three obnoxious yeah. music nerds in the movie and very big. Um, some of it plays better than than uh, you know some of his moments play better better than others. It, now watching it now in 2022 after many decades of Jack Blackness, um, but I have to say that I do understand why he became you know he his performance is very big and but it's kind of like magnetic and he does have a couple of really i think great moments throughout the movie i mean obviously at the end when he sings let's get it on that's a great payoff moment um for me and there's also um uh what's the other scene that i oh there there's the scene where he's talking about when uh, when laura tells rob that she hasn't slept with ian yet and then he he asks todd jack like well she said yet what do you think that means what if i yeah. told you i haven't seen evil dead 2 yet <laughs> and he like goes in this whole thing um so i find it pretty funny and um yeah that's the first person who who um stands out to me but i do i mean i've seen this movie so many times that uh, almost every supporting character feels like someone that i know very well at this point yeah. but who stands out to you um, yeah, Jack Black, of course. I mean, Jack Black's, you know, over the last like, couple of years, Jack Black mm-hmm. has really emerged as, like, one of my favorite comedic actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's partially due to uh, the Jumanji movies. I think he's, like, really oh, good sure. in those movies. You know, as an adult, um, the more you watch The Holiday, the more you realize he's, like, the seeker weapon of that movie. Uh, um, I'm know, so glad you said that. I agree with that. You know, hard. so, yeah. like... Um, and like you know, it's it, it's it's interesting because it's like I just kind of thought about this, you know, like Jack Black in the holidays kind of is almost like the opposite of Jack Black in High Fidelity, in that like very much into music, very much into movies, but very like welcoming mm-hmm. and open and, and, yeah. and inviting and 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 warm about it instead of mean and hostile. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. Um, That's a great call. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they. <laughs> And I absolutely love School of Rock, and I love him yeah, in School of, course, of Rock, School and that's of Rock, also I mean, another similar yeah. music-adjacent performance, but much warmer, right? Yeah, and, like, School of Rock is one of those movies where, like, I, when, I feel like when it came out, like, no one really took it seriously, and it was a good movie, but I think over the last couple of years, over the last decade, it's really, like, I think people really <laughs> come around to it as, like, this really awesome, like 
great movie and which is great because it's yeah i i like that movie as well um he's great yeah so i just like yeah he's he stands out to me i mean it's it's cool to see him you know in one of his like kind of earliest breakout movies um mm-hmm. i think like uh i really liked Catherine zeta jones and her mm-hmm. few scenes um just i mean i liked um the the part where he says like she talks as if uh no one else has had this discussion before or, like, thought these things yes. before when she brings up, I think, kids or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Kathy Zeta-Jones has that, like, you know, very, like, otherworldly, you know, glamorous, but a little removed quality to her. Yeah. Um, and I really liked her... Um, I, I agree with you about Kevin yeah. Zeta-Jones, and I think that really highlights... The, I feel like the movie has great casting all around. Yeah. I feel like... Yeah. Maybe it's... Be- I don't know if it's because I've seen it so many times, but I do feel like every small supporting part is really well cast. And Catherine Zeta-Jones um, in that part, for me, I think, was kind of like the definition of, like, uh, kind of, like, most beautiful woman in the world for, for a couple of years. Just, like, you know, when you think, like, who's the most beautiful woman? I would like, well, Catherine Zeta-Jones. And I yeah. think I've been thinking of, of this movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, that. because she... Because in some ways, I think she's that, like, glamorous ex-girlfriend that got away. That, like, you, like, had, like as, like, an ordinary, like, dweeb, have no chance with, <laughs> you know? But also, that also highlights one of the things I liked watching the movie again this time is that that it also, that played for me totally different this time than then. This time around, it was like, oh, Rob, you totally blew this. Like, you, yeah. like, you know, it was all about your own insecurities, all about your own feeling like, not knowing what to do, like, you know, neuroticizing everything about your life that made you lose this relationship. And I almost didn't even buy when he goes back and starts saying, like, oh, she was actually horrible this whole time. I don't like her. I'm like, no, I feel like you're just telling that to yourself. Yeah, I agree. It's your own fault that you can't uh, make this relationship work. I mean, his... His sort of, like, self-delusion, I think, really uh, stood out to me when he uh, reconnects with his high school girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's um, a horrible scene for him as a character, yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because she, um, you know, she talks about how, like, his rejection of her totally, like, uh, depleted her self-confidence, and she's like the next guy that tried to like hook up with me like it wasn't rape but it was like close to it and he doesn't it doesn't even register for him yeah. and he's kind of like it's not wasn't my fault you know again like i'm absolved of of guilt here or accountability and i thought this fascinating i mean horrible and like it's the kind of thing where like you know i was for a brief second i was like do they know what they're doing here or like you know, like, how mm-hmm. much of this is, like, a critique of him? How much of it is, like, you know, just, like, him being this character? But I felt like it was a really pointed moment. I think really, like, strong and brave of the, like, the movie to, like, kind of go to that place because it's really dark and really, mm-hmm. um, really uh, ugly to see, like, the main character that way. But I think true to his own, you know, myopia. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's probably the toughest one. Um and the and the other the the other supporting actor that I was gonna bring up, which I think it's brilliant casting, is Tim Robbins as mm. the kind of like neighbor who ends up being Laura's new boyfriend for a little bit, who's this kind of like this hippie guy with the long hair yeah. and listening to world music. I think Tim Robbins in that role is just like perfect casting because like there's Tim Robbins just has something about him that is so like irritating that I think it's so uh, that's just perfect. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I love that quality of Tim Robbins, you know? Yeah. Where you're just like, oh man, you're like really, uh, you're annoying, but you gotta, you, you gotta love him. Um, yeah, and I think Lisa Bonet is also really interesting casting. Yes. Um, I don't know what she was doing in 2000, but um, I always found it very just like uh, out of the like out of the box casting for a role like that. I mean, I know she kind mm-hmm. of, you know, like she and her whole kind of clan have this like reputation now of like being very just like cool. <laughs> you know, yeah, she and Jason Momoa and Lenny Kravitz and Zoe Kravitz, of course. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just yeah, it's like wow. And then you know, of course, her daughter being in the in the re- in the remake is just mm-hmm. like nice full circle. But yeah, I think I agree with you. This movie is really well cast. Um, what do you think about Stephen Frears as a filmmaker? Stephen Frears is an interesting director. He seems, I don't, he's not what I would call, you know, how we talk about like auteurs and people who have like their own stamp in movies and you can feel like really their style. I feel like he's a director who doesn't really have that, but he's made a lot of very good movies in my opinion. You know, he, obviously this movie is a big part of my own experience watching movies, but he's also done uh, done Dangerous Liaisons, which I think is really good, and My Beautiful Laundrette with Daniel Day-Lewis in an early role is also really good. Um, so I would say he's kind of like a solid journeyman when he gets a really good script. I think he really makes it pop. Um, this High Fidelity always felt to me like a more of a John Cusack movie, though. He feels yeah, like the main voice sure. behind it. Yeah, I mean, I um, I totally agree with you. When I was uh, looking up the film, I was like, "Oh, uh, Stephen Freer." It's like that's. It seemed like an out of um, out of like. This seemed a little random. Because yeah. um, like I since they took it from England to Chicago, so I was like, "Oh, that's yeah, the yeah. English guy was the director." Yeah, but I agree with you. I think he's made some really great movies. I'm a big fan of um, Philomena with Judy Dench from. Oh right, yeah. You know, uh, uh, and uh, I think. 2013 or 2014 um but yeah and like now i think he's kind of known for like the queen and uh flora's monster jenkins but i mean i think even like you know my beautiful andrade dangerously as these are very edgy movies you know like yeah um and so it's kind of i I can see why he um you know why he kind of took on this role or took on this film because i felt like it's very much in that like um you know, edgy kind of thing. And actually, I, I did want to talk about the change from... I mean, have you been to Chicago? I've never been to Chicago um, <laughs> or London, so I guess I'm not a very good person to talk about those, <laughs> those, uh, that element of the movie. But Yeah. Um, yeah, but what do you think about that? No, I mean, I was just, uh, I was just uh, reading this morning that uh, Nick Hornby says that... Or he said that this is a very faithful adaptation, even with the location change... Uh, because Chicago is very much like London in terms of its music scene. Um, mm. And uh, he had a really funny quote where he was like, I think the book the book is about more than just geography, which I thought was a right. funny <laughs> quote. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, um, and uh, yeah, but the, I mean, when I read the book, I, I felt like I, it felt like London was such a, like, um, it felt very like tangible to me, even though I'd never mm-hmm. been to London. Um, and like I said, I, I've been to Chicago, but nothing in like this kind of thing. Yeah. Also, this movie made me feel really like sad because I feel like a lot of this this like music scene is probably not the same as it was twenty years mm-hmm. ago. Sure. Um, so I always think about that. I'm like, I wonder what's what this neighborhood's like. You know, if it's yeah. gentrified or cleaned up or anything, it lost its charm. I do think that. You know, if John Cusick was going to be in this movie, 
it is a big strength to move it to Chicago. He's such a Chicago guy, and you can mm-hmm. tell that he has such a connection to the place. And you know, if he was gonna connect with this book, it made sense to translate it. You know, just the way that Nick Hornby relates to London. I think it's it's what makes it uh, feel kind of like very. I don't know. It gives it like a little extra something. You know, very personal, very connected, uh, in a way that I think the movie. I mean, the movie is all about going to the mind of this guy, you know, so I think it really helps the more it feels like it's a real person and with real history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought it was so, I, you know, I thought this movie was interesting because I'm not really a music person, you know, in terms of like, I know, like, um, like, you know, I, I have very basic music tastes. Uh, but so I was always it's always interesting for me to watch movies about people who are like really into music um, mm-hmm. and kind of like hear their opinions on it and kind of just kind of it's like at a little peek into this like whole other subculture. And I'm wondering, like, are you a big like music person? Like, does this resonate with you in that way? Um Yeah, well, you know, like I was saying, the first time that I saw this, it was mostly about making a connection between his love of music and my own love of like movies. Yeah. But this movie also played a big role in getting me more into music, you know, like, um, you know, I feel like this is a very rich movie because, you know, it's been such a part of my life that I can connect so many things about myself and my interests back to it a little bit. Like this movie now watching it again, I realized, oh, this movie really like made me consider like a soul music in a way that I hadn't before, you know, before I was really just like kind of like a rock and rock person, rock music. And then this movie, he mentions Aretha Franklin many times. And then obviously Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On plays a big part in the movie. Yeah. And it kind of like opened myself up to that kind of music, which I didn't listen to a lot when I was a kid. I grew up in South America. Soul music wasn't really such a big deal there. So it was kind of through this movie that I discovered all that amazing music by so many musicians of the 60s and 70s that they were doing like soul and R&B and that kind of stuff. So, and obviously it also brought me to um, uh, think about music in the, in the similar way that I thought about movies, but I was never, I think that much of a music is kind of like um, gatekeepery about it, I guess. I also have pretty, you know, broad and, and trash taste in music <laughs> yeah uh, sometimes but but i love all kinds of music and i think that that may be something else that changed as i became more mature was like seeing like oh when it comes to music i'm so open to so many things how can, why am i not, can i be a little bit more like that when it comes to movies you know and i think that also helped me mature as a person as well yeah definitely i think that's like one of the big um takeaways for me about this movie is just like the more that you um just like the more that you widen your horizons and kind of see more outside yourself, the I think happier and more, um, you know, the happier you'll be, the more kind of confident you'll feel. And I, I think that a lot of like gatekeeper behavior, I think, comes from insecurity. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I think that like, and a lot of uh, Rob's sort of romantic mishaps come from insecurity and. Yeah. You know, Almost all really, of them. Yeah, all of them, yeah. And uh, I think it's just, you know, it's just funny as you get older. I mean, I'm in my 30s now, and I've been, you know, I've experienced everything in a relationship that you can experience. <laughs> and um, it's, uh, you know, you come out of it, and you're just like, wow, like, now I have, I've been through it all, so I can sort of see 
see my own patterns, see other people's patterns, and how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're getting at a couple of really good points there. Um, it makes me think of how I think it's really important for the movie to bring Rob towards the end to a point where he is um, creating something else and that where he kind of like is able to see the um, the alternative to his preconceptions and his judgment of other people, both in the little kids who... Well, not kids, you know, the, the kind of like teenager skater yeah. boys who steal from the record store, but then he ends up producing their music because he listens to it and he's like, oh, this is actually really good. And then also with the Jack Black character and the, you know, the running joke of this band that he has that it so- sounds horrible, like they're going to be like completely terrible. And then they play at the last party and they play his favorite song of all time and they do a pretty charming rendition of it. And it's kind of like this thing of like, you've been too far up your own ass and your own head, Rob, you know, like step out into the real world for a little bit. Yeah. And there's just, you know, something to be said about like creating versus curating, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think this movie shows like the value of um, kind of being a part of the creative process and having that goal. I mean, like his store is not very successful. Um, Yeah. He's, you know, they have this own little bubble, but as he starts to expand it, um, he sees, like, yeah, there's actually something to be said about um, working towards something. And I, I think that also ties into his sort of monologue about the fantasy woman versus, mm-hmm. you know, wanting the reality. Um, and just, you know, as as you work towards a relationship, you get rid of the fantasy and you start to see the real person, and that's actually something to, you know... Aim for instead of running away from. Yeah, that's interesting, and I think that uh, yeah, I agree with you. That's a very strong moment, and I think that's what the movie is building towards. And at the same time, I do understand the criticism that some people might have against the movie, uh, or or rather, I don't know if I would go as far as to call it a, cri- a criticism or a flaw in the movie, but I do mm-hmm. think there are certain limitations in being so much from his perspective. You know, I feel like Laura as a character remains kind of a a bit of a of a mystery in some ways to me you know we never fully understand where she's going from where she's coming from it becomes that question that happens all the time in movies even though in real life we kind of accept it a little bit more because it does happen of like why is she with this guy you know um like i feel like that in real life happens a lot of like people that you're like why are they together and they just simply are but in a movie that I think it becomes more of a thing of like, I wish I understood a little bit more what she sees in him. But um, yeah, so I don't know. So I don't know how you feel about that element of it. I do think the movie is very effective at being from her perspective and getting to the points it wants to get at. But I would be curious to, to you know, um, in a movie like this, I'm always a little bit curious about like, mm, I wish I knew a little bit more about her perspective of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think this movie is successful in that it wants to be from his perspective and see every, to see his entire you know universe from his lens, and it, that that's its goal, and that's what it does. I also am curious about Laura. Um, I find it curious that she doesn't really accept his proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, "You've asked, thank you," and yeah. to me, that reads like this isn't going to be the the you know the end point for her in terms of her romantic life i think mm-hmm. she'll be with him until she kind of grows outgrows him even more than she already has 
and yeah. um, right. and then he'll actually survive that, and he'll learn from that and grow from that, and then maybe the next woman he's with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course, this is the kind of movie where I'm like, I want to see this movie from every character's standpoint. You know, I want to see <laughs> yeah. it from her. I want to see it from Catherine Jones. I want to see it from Lily Taylor. I want to see it from yeah. Lisa Bonet. You know. Yeah, I think that is what. Yeah, that's why I think, despite that, those kind of. I feel like that's why I wouldn't call that necessarily a flaw, but more of like a thing that it's a richness. You know, it kind of opens yeah. myself up to think of the perspectives of the other characters. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right about that scene where he. That's the same scene where he talks about wanting the real thing instead of yeah. the the fantasy version, and he proposes to her, and I and I do love her reaction, just like you were saying, because. Um, yeah, because I think she knows that that means a, a sign of maturity in Rob. You know, that's something that she can see that, oh, you're actually showing a little bit that you're going to grow as a person and we may or may not continue to be together. But if you continue in this trajectory, this relationship maybe does have a future and it's worth continuing. Um, and I agree with you that the ending... And, and I, what I also love about the movie is that, you know... Um, I feel like it it's not it feels very much adapted from a book because it's not structured like a traditional screenplay with that big climactic moment like I was yeah. saying before there's no jukebox moment you know right, there's right. no moment where he's standing outside the window makes a big romantic gesture and it all ties up neatly after they get together at the funeral there's this whole thing with this other woman the reporter from the magazine or the newspaper who's going to interview him and he's thinking oh maybe I want to be with her and I'm watching it and I'm like are you an idiot like come on guy you just <laughs> got your, your shit together and now you want to yeah. go with this other lady you're going to ruin everything but I think that also gives it a neck that little extra richness a little extra like it's going to be a lot of work you know we know this guy um and he is a piece of work and it's going to be little by little that he if he's going to get better at all yeah exactly and you know his his maturity is very much it's it's a lot of small steps because Mm -hmm. i think even his monologue about the real thing i'm also like okay but like you shouldn't be this horrified by seeing a girl's like normal underwear (laughs) yeah i'm like okay obviously she's it just felt like okay yeah like i'm glad that you're thinking positively about it but also like you know you're almost i don't i mean you're in your 20s you're in a real adult you're a business owner i think you can handle you know not i don't just felt like you know very baby steps yeah Um, he feels very much like a teenager to me like i was saying he seems really stuck at that age right Um, yeah i will say about say anything um mm -hmm. the boombox moment like it's it's, the way it's played in the movie um i actually would love to talk about say anything because i think it's Mm -hmm. i guess it's a a movie that's very different than how i imagined it but in the movie the boombox moment it doesn't actually work it doesn't you know like um it's uh it's it actually almost like counteracts against him and like what what he does to get the girl is just to like be there for her and Mm -hmm. be her emotional support as she's dealing with all the pressures of um you know her her father you know going to jail and stuff so it is i just want to put that out there just because like i think like my my impression of that moment which is like what are those scenes in movie history that is you know you know it even if you haven't seen the movie mm-hmm. i thought that, that was like the big climax of the movie and the fa- it's it's not and it's actually kind of like yeah. you know him trying to be this like romantic climactic thing and it all just, like i don't think she even like goes down to see him she just kind of like rolls over in bed and like puts her pillow over her head <laughs> 
Yeah, that's interesting that even I've seen the movie and even I kind of like misremembered it. Yeah. You know, well, I haven't seen the movie in a long time. I have to be too. I would recommend it. I, th- I think it would really be an interesting counter uh, counterpoint to High Fidelity uh, because, yeah. in some ways, you know, his character is a teenager and say anything, but he's like so much more emotionally mature and emotionally intelligent than his character in High Fidelity. Right. Um, and I think that the the two of them, I think, would be a really kind of fun uh, double feature. So yeah, I, I recommend it. I de- it makes me very curious. Also, you know, directed by Cameron Crowe, who is a music guy or like yeah, a music yeah. lover. So that's also interesting in that way. And that also makes me think of something I was uh, wondering about, which is this thing about like, you know, the perspectives in, in romance movies, like told from the perspective of a certain character and then the love interest. I was starting to wonder you know, how how often do we get a movie in which, like, the two perspectives are really equally balanced, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like in a lot of movies, um, it is one or the other. It also made me think that a lot of romantic movies, like, kind of like breakup movies uh, with male protagonists tend to be about looking back, and the ones with female protagonists are more about moving on to the next thing. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, which I found interesting. And then I was wondering, so I wanted to ask you if you can think of anything that has like kind of like those both two perspectives um, kind of I mean, balanced. Maybe say one, anything is a good one. Yeah, say anything because I, again, I actually, I mean, I think even say anything, um, I own Sky feels like the main character in that movie. Um, mm-hmm. And John Cusack feels like the love interest. Um, even, oh, yeah. even though like that boombox is on the poster. It's, I mean, it's just like that boombox moment is I think it's like a fascinating cultural curio for me because like it's so minor in the movie yet it has this like lasting impression on us where like if you do a parody of that scene everyone instantly knows um in terms of like really even double handers I think or two handers I think when Harry Met Sally comes to mind Mm, that feels very very much equal um moonstruck i think i'm i'm thinking in terms of like romantic comedies especially yeah uh, but yeah definitely in moonstruck um you know the one i thought about i don't know if you'll agree with me about this but i thought that uh, licorice pizza did a really good yeah, job of making me understand where where both people were coming from in that relationship yeah i, I would agree with that and i, I think you know um I, I think when like the woman is kind of more in the lead than the man, then it seems it's more even-handed. And when like the mm. man is because like Licorice Pizza, I would say Alana Haim is the main character in that movie, but it's also it's very even, even if yeah. she's like slightly, just because like we just see more of her alone. Um, yeah. And I think when Harry Met Sally feels more even, even though I would say Meg Ryan is the lead of that movie, like by like an inch, you know. <laughs> right. Um, so and and same with Moonstruck. But I, I think with these movies, like it feels even because like the woman actually like has a substantial role and she's actually right. like the main. I think with like a movie like High Fidelity, where you know the the main character is a guy and he's kind of looking back. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just about his relationship with Laura; it's also about these other relationships. All these so other, all it these feels other more supporting. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, that's a really great uh, insight about looking back versus looking forward. You know, we've seen so many romantic comedies, especially where you know she just gets over a breakup. I mean, like yeah. Moonstruck, when Harry met Sally, as we just mentioned, the holiday, as mm-hmm. we've mentioned, those mm-hmm. and the holiday, both those stories about women you know, getting um, getting over their men and looking forward to the future. 
for yeah. romantic relationships. That's such an interesting insight. And I think that, has, I mean, I feel like that um, does not say a lot of flattering things about men because I feel like we're just looking <laughs> back all yeah. the time and trying to fix something and trying to become like, you know, we're trying to like, um, I think, protect our egos by like, you know, uh, rehashing the past, rehashing yeah, the like, past and trying to make it better instead of just moving forward. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I, I think that in some cases when it comes to men, maybe that is a good thing that you just don't move over and, and yeah. <laughs> do it's maybe it's good to do a little self-reflection. And, yeah. You know, I mean, like, we all, we all need to do more <laughs> as men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, do you have any final thoughts on high fidelity, John Cusack, you know, any of this mm -hmm. stuff um, before we finish up here? Um, yeah, you know, it's it's hard for me to look at this movie, um, you know, there's no such thing as objectivity, I guess, but it's really hard for me to divorce how I feel about this movie because the place that it has had in my life. Um, but I do feel like it's a very rich movie in a lot of ways. I do think that it does get at something very real and, and honest about masculinity, about insecurity in certain types of men and in what well, we were talking about, like, identifying with the things that you like, uh, the music, whatever it is, movies in my case, and things like that. And and I do think that it is a pretty insightful movie in that way when you take into account that it's from such a specific perspective. And I do think that the movie, the, the amount of memorable supporting characters and scenes in the movie uh, speaks to that. I also find... And, and this is, again, something that I don't know if it's because I've seen it so many times, but I find like there's so many little moments in the movie that have stuck with me throughout life that I think about a lot. Um, we mentioned some of them already throughout this conversation. But what you were saying about the Catherine Sennett Jones character when he says like she talks like she no one has ever had a conversation about this topic before. I have felt that way about certain people in my life when I meet them and I'm like, and I immediately think of this movie, you know, and there's a couple of things like that throughout that have kind of really stuck with me that are very like, I think, interesting insights. So I would say that um, if, yeah, I, I think it's a good movie. I think it's a rich movie. So I would recommend it to anyone who, feels like they can stomach hanging out with a guy who's pretty irritating for a couple hours. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, even as I found this movie borderline unwatchable for about 45 minutes, I <laughs> actually do, I did end up enjoying it a lot on, on rewatch and thinking back to, um, you know, where I was when I first saw it and kind of where I am now. And um, yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I wanted, I, I just wanted to bring up kind of on a technical standpoint this movie was shot by Seamus McGarvey who of course is a esteemed you know award winning cinematographer or at least award nominated um, and yep. so the uh, movie looks incredible it, you know I, I, I really value when movies like this you know are shot by people who actually know what they're doing yeah. um, because it shows a lot of care and attention to detail and affection for the film and it kind of makes it stand out just a little bit more from a lot of bad movies that are like this, but, you know, very um, cookie-cutter in terms of their visual aesthetic. So mm -hmm. High Fidelity, you know, even if you can't stand the characters, I think it's really worth um, watching for its uh, really beautiful uh, mm -hmm. design. Yeah, and I will say the, the TV adaptation, even though it only lasted one season and got uh, cancelled, um, it's actually really worth your while as well. 
Um, Zoe Kravitz is really great in it, and it has also some very good supporting characters, like just like the movie. And and it's interesting, you know, um, whether you find it Rob very or irritating or just a little bit irritating when you watch the movie High Fidelity. It would be really interesting to then watch the show and and compare and contrast. I think it's a very uh, interesting exercise to do that yeah i definitely am very interested in in watching it i'm going to move that up to my tv watch list um yeah well thank you so much for coming on the podcast i'm really glad we finally got to do this after uh however long um yeah again please remind us uh about where we can find wormholes and also where we can find you online in general totally totally thank you so much for having me i've been looking forward to this uh, for a while so it's really great to be uh, able to talk about this movie with you uh and yes you can find wormholes on youtube if you search wormholes the series um and i also have a couple podcasts uh, manish has been in my podcast for an invader we talked about priyanka chopper last year but that uh podcast is kind of a bit on a hiatus but you can always go and listen to the older episodes the podcast that i'm still doing on a regular basis is called the criterion project and it's a show where um film critic rachel wagner and i talk about movies in the criterion channel or criterion collection and um you can find that if you search criterion project wherever you listen to podcasts um so yeah so check that out and and i'm sure that at some point Manish, we would love to have you on criterion pod so you should come on sometime for that yes as well. absolutely i would love that um you can find me on twitter at vertigay 314 that's v-e-r-t-i-g-a-y 314 also well you can follow the podcast at a pod to be you but i have was signed out and i don't remember the password so i'm trying to figure it out <laughs> so you can follow it but i probably will not be interacting much there until i figure out how to get into that account because i think i i registered for it under in pod to view at gmail.com but i don't remember that password so it's, it's a whole thing um it's a 21st century problem yeah I, I i know and i feel like such a boomer not being able to figure this out but um uh, but yeah, you can follow it there, uh, but just don't expect me to respond to anything you tweet there. Um, but yeah, please uh, rate and subscribe to the show, uh, help people find it. Uh, the next episode after this is our 60th episode, so I'm trying to cook up something special for that. Um, I have some ideas, we'll see where it goes. Um, and, uh, you know, I really am hoping to bring this show back from its hiatus a little bit, a lot more um, in the next coming months you know we're in april now as we're recording so hoping the summer i I want to um really uh, get back to this because i I miss doing it and talking to wonderful people like conrado so conrado thanks again um listeners thank you so much for listening thank you I believe when I fall in love